Okay, Romans chapter 2. Um, I don't think we'll finish chapter 2 this week. Uh, if we do, we do. Uh, you know, but uh, um, I'm planning to get through verses 17 through 24. That's kind of my, my plan. That's my, uh, my hope, my goal. And so uh, we'll, we'll try to get those done as, as far as last week, just as a reminder, if you weren't with us. <coughs> Or just uh, to make sure that we're staying in context here, because um, verses 17 through 24 go along with, you know, what we studied last week. And so you need to keep in mind that Paul is making a case um, that God is going to judge all of mankind. And it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or it doesn't matter if you're a Gentile, uh, that all of mankind is subject to God's judgment. Um, so that means whether you're under the law means you'll be judged by the law, which is what verse 12 says. Romans 2.12 says, For as many as have sinned without the law shall also perish without the law. And as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. So whether you're under the law, which, who was under the law? The Jew. The Jew. So whether you're a Jew who was under the law, you will be judged by the law. Or if you're a Gentile and you were not under the law, I would also point out to you the word that's used there. Notice what it says. For as many as have sinned without the law shall what? Perish. Perish without the law. And so um, keep in mind that even with the law, um, nobody was going to be made righteous. Nobody was going to accomplish the law perfectly. And so which is where Paul is ultimately going to with this. But in this chapter... Paul is making the point before he makes the eventual point that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. He's making the point here that if you're going to follow the law, if that's going to be your standard for righteousness, then you have to do it perfectly. And so that's the case he's making here. Um, but again, if you're not in the law, you'll be judged apart from the law. Uh, I know that's a question I've been asked a number of times that, you know, we understand that the law is not for today. But back when the law was in place, was the law for the Gentile? And I don't know if you've ever wondered that question. I know in the early days of my um, Bible study, I would wonder, was, was the law, were Gentiles judged by the law? You know, and, and the answer is no. The Gentiles weren't judged by the law. Jews would be judged by the law. The Gentile wasn't given the law. Um, and so that's what we see here in this verse talking about. Verses 13 through 15 here. Remember last week we pointed out that, that at the beginning of, of verse 13 you have a parenthesis. And so that goes on through verse 15. So verses 13 through 15 are a parenthesis, which means you should be able to bring verses 12 and 16 together and them make sense. And just for re reading it says, verse 12, for as many as have sinned without the law shall also perish without the law. And as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. And then you see that parenthesis. Verse 16, In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. And that's where we left off. So verses 13 through 15 is a pause of, of further information. But verse, verse uh, 16 there, um, again, this is just by way of reminder, if you didn't get it in your notes last week, there are three things that you can take from verse 16 alone. 
And that is, is one, that God will judge the secrets of men. Um, That is a scary thought whenever you don't have what Christ offers. What Christ offers is that redemption. But if you don't have that, um, there's a lot of people who want to live an upright life whenever they're out in the public eye. The Jews were famous for that. I mean, Jesus would point that out to them. Um, But God's going to judge based on the secrets of men. And so that's one of the things that you can take from that. Another thing is, is that Jesus is the judge. Now, Paul isn't revealing new information here at this point. Matter of fact, you know, the gospel that we know, the gospel of the grace of God, that's not interjected yet. That's not until later. Paul is making a case, and he's going to present that later. But here he presents the idea that Jesus is the judge. But again, he's not the one that did that. Look at John chapter 5. John chapter 5, verse 22. Jesus himself, during his earthly ministry, made it known to the world who will be judging the world. And before you get there, it's interesting because whenever we think of <coughs> the world's belief systems out there, and, and, we, and we talk about that a lot here, that those who say they're Christian aren't always Christian. They want to adopt the name Christian. And so we see groups out there um, you know, that, that want to say, you know, Joseph Smith is going to be the ultimate judge, even above Jesus Christ. Well, if you believe that, then you don't believe in the same Jesus Christ as we do. It's not the same Jesus. John chapter 5, verse 22 says, For the Father judges no man, but has committed all judgment unto the Son. And so Jesus revealed that in his earthly ministry. And Paul here is also uh, making that point that Jesus is going to be the judge of all um, all the earth. Um, and so the third thing is a reminder from this verse 16 is, is that, um, that it's going to be by Paul's gospel. So those, talking about those, obviously his audience... Um, you know, David, King David wasn't judged by Paul's gospel. Does that make sense? You know, Abraham wasn't judged by Paul's gospel. It was after that gospel was revealed in which somebody will be judged by that gospel. And so the question is, by what gospel are we judged today? Well, the same one here. Mm-hmm. Because guess what? There hasn't been something new added. There's not been something to replace this. And so with, with the establishment of the gospel of the grace of God is the fact that you cannot, especially at that time, time period, because Paul was living in a day where you had people who had lived under the gospel of the kingdom. And now you have the, the gospel of the grace of God. And so Paul is making it known that you, Jew, which he's going to point out by name here very, um, very shortly, uh, you, Jew who call yourself a Jew, you are going to be judged by my gospel. That's what you're going to be judged by. Um, And so it's the mystery that Paul is given, which reveals to us. And people, um, you know, I I, I don't know about you, I enjoy pondering some of the deeper things of God. And and it's the mystery that reveals to us that how God can be uh, 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 the justifier of the sinner apart from the law. Jesus didn't reveal that in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, did he? 
Early Acts didn't, didn't deal with that question. God gave that, Jesus gave that to the Apostle Paul, and that is the mystery that he's talking about. Look at Romans chapter 3, verse 20. It says, Therefore by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Verse 21, But now, now I usually ask this question, but now doesn't mean back then, right? It means but now. Okay. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. And so we see that it is now that, that righteousness apart from the law is made known. That, that, that is a new thing. Look at verse 26. To declare, I say, at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just, and the justifier of him which believes in Jesus. And so again, in this just this one verse, verse 16, you have these three different things that you need to be able to take from it. One, that God's going to judge the secrets of men. Two, that Jesus is that judge. And the three, that, that Jesus is going to judge based upon Paul's gospel, which is ultimately Jesus' gospel, because Jesus is the one that gave it to him. And Paul makes that abundantly clear over and over again. And so, and that gospel is, is the idea that you can be um, saved apart from the law. Matter of fact, you can only be saved apart from the law. The law is not going to save you. Any comments or questions on any, any of that? Okay. Start in verse 17 here. I'm going to read 17 through 20. I kind of broke it down um, in this manner. <coughs> Romans 2.17 Behold, thou art called a Jew, and rests in the law, and make thy boast of God. And so that's what I was talking about. Uh, he was getting ready to call out the Jew very specifically. And so understand that that's who he's talking to here. And that's who he's talking about here. It says, you are called a Jew and you rest in the law and makest thy boast of God and knowest his will and approvest the things that are more excellent, being instructed out of the law, and are confident that thou thyself are a guide of the blind, a light of them which are in darkness, and an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, which has the form of knowledge and has the truth in the law. Now, in case you haven't figured out here, Paul is being a little bit oh, sarcastic, okay, is what he's, what he's doing here. Especially whenever you see this, this, what he says here in verse 17, that you rest in the law. Um, you know, look at Romans chapter 10. That is the problem that Paul is going to be dealing with, is those who want to rest in the law. Romans 10 verse 1. You know, before, before the law was added, those who came from Jacob could rest on the promise, right? But once the law was added, they had to rest on the law, right? Once the law is done away with, it would be the same way, you know, so in other words, if you tried to rest on the law when the law is done away with, it's the same thing as trying to rest on the promise once the law is added. You can't do that. And, and so that's what Paul is dealing with oftentimes with um, 
with, with in, in the book of Romans and in other places. Look at Romans 10.1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. What does he mean? For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. Well, we know the context of what he's talking about there by verse 4. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believes. For Moses describes the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which doeth them, doing those things, shall live by them. And so here they are trying to establish their own righteousness, which is exactly what Paul is trying to deal with here in Romans chapter 2 when he talks about you who rests in the law. Again, the word of God is inspired. What Paul says in Romans chapter 10 has Romans 2 in mind and vice versa. Okay? And so, but the other thing that's important is is that uh, Paul doesn't shy away from the fact that he himself did the same thing, didn't he? At one time. Look at Galatians with me. Galatians chapter 1. Paul was guilty of doing the same thing. Galatians chapter 1 verse 13. Now Galatians is a book that uh, whenever, whenever you get into conversations about circumcision, uh, about any type of thing that was part of the law under Israel, Galatians is a good place. If you can't remember scriptures, um, you know, if, you, if, you, if you're like me and you can't memorize scripture places and it, it takes a lot of work for you to do that, um, Galatians, if you just remember that Paul is dealing with people who want to go back under the law, um, Galatians is a book that's going to be, a, it's got, got information about that subject. And here he's, he, he's going to remind um, these people about his former self. Galatians 1.13 says, For you have heard of my former, or heard of my conversation in times past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it, and profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals, in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. Now, pause for a moment. As Paul describes in Romans 10, those Jews that want to deny who Jesus is. Now, again, obviously, um, before Paul was saved, the mystery hadn't been revealed. But Paul was somebody who was rejecting who Jesus was up until the point that he was saved, which he's going to describe. And so he himself was still trying, he himself was guilty of trying to establish his own righteousness. So keep that in mind. Verse 15. But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. And, and so we see here that again, Paul was somebody himself who, you know, it's not like he heard what the apostles were teaching and saying, oh, that all makes sense. I, I can put the two together. 
No, he was, he was in complete <coughs> denial and rejection. And as we're going to see here, that if you reject Christ, I mean, Jesus said, search the law and the prophets, and they speak of what? He said, it speaks of me, meaning him. And so if you're going to reject him, whether you realize it or not, Jew, you're denying what? The law. Because the law, the prophets, were pointing to Jesus Christ. And so when Paul says that, you know, I, I, I have a heart's desire for, for my people Israel, he knows that at one point he was in denial as well. And so back here in Romans chapter 2, you know, whenever he says that you rest in the law and you make your boast of God, um, you know, and, and this idea of boasting in God is, is really two things I want to say about that. One, again, he's being sarcastic because in a few verses here, he's matter of fact, just look at verse 23. He changes it from boasting God, thou that makest thy boast of what? The law. Because ultimately, these Jews who want to deny Christ and say that they glory in God, Paul is going to say, no, actually, you're glory to Moses, you're glory to the law, which means ultimately you're trying to set your own righteousness. And so that's one point I would tell you. And the other point I would remind you is, is that, you know, this boasting means glory. It means the idea of glorying in. And so Paul later says that I glory in one thing, and that is what? The cross. So um, whenever he talks about this idea that thou being a Jew, you rest in the law, you can't rest in the law and be righteous and deny Christ at the same time. So what Paul is, is, is proving um, that by um, resting in the law and not in Christ, um, you're violating the law. And that's really what his point is. Um, Rome, as we know, was the capital of Rome. It was a big city, wasn't it? Kind of a big mega mega city there. Um, there are many Jews in that place. Keep in mind, it's not until later that the Jews actually get kicked out of, out of Rome. Um, at this point, um, there, there are Jews there, quite uh, populated by Jews. Um, Judaism and Christianity... Today, we see that they're, they're a pretty distinct group. Nobody's going to really, you know, kind of try to put Jews and Christians together. They see them as separate, right? Do you think that they did back then? Let me give you a hint. No. There, there, was, there was basically this, this you know, this, this trans, transfer of Christianity being basically a, a sect of Judaism to becoming its own thing. Um, and, and so what we have here is, is um, the idea of Paul is distinguishing um, between these two groups. He's going to make the case here that you can't be a Jew um, and um, deny Christianity and consider, consider the two groups the same thing. You can't. Again, we today, we see that distinction. But back then in that day, that distinction was, was cloudy. It wasn't seen. Not everybody truly understood it. Paul is the one who's going to make that distinction known. And that's what, really what he's doing here. He's making that distinction known. Um, basically, in a nutshell, he's saying that being a Jew is not enough. Jew, you've got to be a Christian. That's what you've got to do. And so 
um, we, we think of it from our side of Scripture and that how um, that wall between Jew and Gentile has been broken down, that middle wall of partition. We've talked about that before. Go to Ephesians, <coughs> Ephesians chapter 2. But there, there's a part of this you have to understand. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11, where we'll start. Ephesians 2, 11 says, Wherefore, now he's talking to Gentiles here. Wherefore, remember that you, being in times past Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were sometimes afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace who has made both one and broken down the middle wall of partition between us. And so here, yes, there, there, there is a the fact that we need to understand that there's a... a there's a distinction. Um, there's no longer a distinction between Jew and Gentile. Okay? But that doesn't mean that all distinctions have been done away with. You're probably saying, what are you, what are you talking about? Paul is making a distinction. Paul is making a distinction in, in, a, in, in Rome, Romans chapter 2. And that distinction is between being a believer and a non-believer. It's the middle wall partition between Jew and Gentile. That's gone and done away with. But the, there is a partition between the believer and the non-believer. And we have to understand that, which is why you hear me say all the time, you're either in Adam or you're in Christ. That's the wall of partition that is in place today. And, that, and so we have to understand that, that there is that distinction. Verse 15, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances. Remember this first because I'm going to reference it later contained in ordinances to make in himself up to one new man so making peace that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross having slain the enmity thereby and came and preached peace to you which were far off and to them which were nigh which were near for through him we both have access by one spirit unto the father and so again, what, what you, we, we get caught up in the idea that there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. But don't be fooled. There is a difference between the believer and the non-believer. And Paul is making a very big point in, in Romans chapter 2 and in other places that being a Jew is not enough. You can't just rest on being a Jew. You have to move over to this camp. And that's what he's, what he's dealing with there. And, and in Galatians 3... Um, and you can write this down, I won't take you there, but Galatians 3.26 makes it clear that it's by faith in Jesus Christ which we become the children of God. And let that sink into you. Because the world likes to say, oh, we're all children of God. Let me give you a hint. That's not what the Bible says. We are children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. Otherwise, we are enemies with God. And so that's where we see the distinction. There's no more that, you know, whenever you used to, in, in the temple days, you know, they, they've found the inscription that when you, went, when you crossed from the court of the, the Gentiles to the court of Israel, there was a, a sign there. You're aware of that, right? 
There was a sign that there was a warning that for any Jew, Gentile to cross into the inner part of the temple, it was a death sentence. You were taking your own life at risk because of that, just that partition. Yeah. But if a Gentile wanted to convert and get circumcised, he could then be yep. it was, it, it, there is a There's a distinctive, uh, there's a difference, but there was supposed to be an open invitation because that was the point of Judaism was to call the Gentile to come, become a proselyte, to, to, to do exactly that. Uh, unfortunately, Israel saw that, that distinction as a means to closing the door instead of inviting people in. And that's, that's what they did, and, and for their own reasons, their, their own selfishness. You know, the Jew had God's promises, and he could count on God's promises. Um, but not all of Israel is Israel, as we understand. And so as the Jew at this time that Paul is talking to, a Jew could count on the promises of God. He couldn't rest on the law. He could count on the promises of God. But whenever God sets Israel aside, the only way in which that he is going to be able to be right with God himself is is for him to, to become a Christian. That's the only, only way. And so that's really what Paul is, is talking about here. Again, you know, somebody could be um, of Israel, which is what Romans 9 later talks about, is you could be of Israel, but not Israel. Does that make sense? And he's not talking about Gentiles who happen to live in Israel. It's literally talking about people who were born through the line of Abraham who were part of Israel. But only the only true Israel were going to be those who had faith in Christ because it was all going to point to him. And so these are all the things that are, that, that are in mind of Romans chapter 2 is that the idea of you're going to have to move from the law. You who are going to rest in the law, you know, that's a, problem, that's a problematic thing. If, if the law, and the other thing is, as I pointed out to you, Ephesians, um, that Ephesians passage there in in, in chapter 2, um, verse 15. Well, let me go back and read it because I forgot exactly how it's worded. Ephesians 2.15, because it's talking about the, the law being abolished. Ephesians 2.15, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances. Um, if that's the case, in, in Jews' glory in it instead of Christ, um, ultimately... He's glorying in something that's been removed, right? And that's what Ephesians there is saying, that that's been removed. That's been taken out of the way. And so to glory in something that's been taken out of the way is to glory in, the, in something that's been removed. And so really ultimately it's, it's foolishness and it's, 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 it's of no value. It's vain. That's right there is really the, the definition of vain. So, all right, back to Romans 2. Any questions, comments? Does that make sense? What Paul is really trying to drive home here? Because, again, his main point is, is you, Jew, who wants to rest in this, who wants to say all these things. And when you look at verse 18, it says, know and who knows his will. Now, that's that, that, there, there might be sarcasm involved in there, but the, the fact of the matter is, is the Jew did know God's will. They were given God's will. God never left the Jew in the dark. You know, we, we think of that 
you know, if you're in a dark room and you're reaching out, you ever done that trying to find the, the light switch? Although we got to memorize most probably. Um, and just hope that your wife didn't leave a chair out or husband didn't leave a chair out where you, you bang your knee or something. You know, God never left Israel in that situation where they had to reach in the dark of not knowing his will, which is also true of you and, you and I, by the way, because we have his word. But the Jew did know God's will. God did send prophets. God did send people in order that they could always know his will. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 30. Deuteronomy chapter 30. Verse 11. Deuteronomy 11. I'm sorry, Deuteronomy 30, 11. I mean, confusion there, because I'll end up confusing myself. Deuteronomy 30, 11. For this commandment which I command thee this day, it is not hidden from thee, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, Who shall go up for us to heaven and bring it unto us, that we may hear it and do it? Neither is it beyond the sea that thou should say, Who shall go over the sea for us and bring it unto us, that we may hear it and do it? What's his point in those two verses? He's saying you don't have to go to some extreme measure to know what it is I'm trying to tell you. This is God talking to Israel. Verse 14, but the word is very nigh, it's very near unto thee. In my mouth and in my heart that thou mayest do it. See, I have set before thee this day life and good and death and evil. And so we see here that God is, is said, and he says that many times. That's just the one, one I picked up here. And so the Jew did know God's will. And, jo- and God made it plainly clear to them that you don't have ignorance. And, and, and even the Jew, put it this way. <laughs> Paul... The Apostle Paul, whenever he was in a place of denying who Christ was, he didn't have an excuse, did he? Why? Why didn't he have an excuse? Right. And, 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 and Jesus said over and over and over again, search the scriptures, they speak of me. You see, God had always told the Jew what it is to look for. They had, he had told them what was going to happen. Moses had, had said that there was going to, God was going to raise up a prophet like unto me. Him you better listen to. And he says how you're going to identify that prophet. And so the Jew couldn't plead ignorance on any case, any situation. And that included Paul, which is why Paul would say that the, the, the grace that was given to him, because he understood that he was in a state of rebellion until that road to Damascus experience. And so that, again, that's the situation that the Jew is in. And so whenever it says here, knowest knowest his will, that is true, they did know his will. Romans 2.19, and you're confident. That thou thyself art a guide of the blind, and a light to them which are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, teacher of babes which has the form of knowledge and of the truth in the law Israel um, was supposed to be a guide to the blind weren't they especially when you think of the leaders in Israel meaning the priests 
Because the priests in Israel were supposed to be a guide to the blind of Israel. It's the sinners, you know, sinners amongst Israel. But the nation of Israel itself was supposed to be a guide to the blind, which would have been the Gentiles. The blind in Scripture is a referral to either um, Gentiles who were in darkness and needed a light, or it was a reference to um, the, the, the people of Israel who were in sin, those who were um, needing a guide. And so you know, they were supposed to be a guide. Look at Matthew chapter 23. Matthew 23, here the Lord uh, has some harsh words to uh, the scribes, the Pharisees. Matthew 23, 24. <coughs> now let's start at 23. Matthew 23, 23. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you pay the tithe the mint and anise and cumin and have omitted the weightier matters of the law. Judgment, mercy, and faith, these ought you to have done and not to leave the other undone. And so context here is he's talking to scribes and Pharisees, those who were supposed to be leading those who were not learned in the law, those who were not understanding, scribes and Pharisees. Oh, you pay the easy things. You know, he's, he mentions things that were often used as far as offering for, um, for tithes or whatever. Oh, you, you, pay, you, you do those. But the weightier things, the things that, that are of more importance, you just throw them by the side. So again, he's talking about the hypocrite aspect of it. In verse 24, he says, You blind guides, which strain in a gnat and swallow a camel. Apparently, I, I wasn't around back then, but from what I've been told... Um, is that it was common in that day that that um, different uh, religious people, Jews, would literally take their drinks and they would strain it in case a gnat fell into the water because that could defile the drink. And so they were so cautious to make sure that an unknown thing like a gnat flying into your drink and, and straining that out but swallowing a camel. And why is the reference to a camel? Well, because the camel is the largest of the unclean animals. And so that's his point here is, is you'll, you'll strain at this and swallow this. And so that's kind of what his point is here is, is that you're a blind guide because you're going to do that. Back at Romans 2 here, he says, A light to them in darkness. Keep in mind, Israel wasn't created simply to self-exist. God didn't create them because he had a, a complete plan to abandon everybody else, did he? No, his plan was to <coughs> utilize this nation that he created to be not blind guides, but seeing guides to those who were in darkness, a light to them. Look at Isaiah 42. That was their, their plan, or God's plan and purpose for them. Coincidentally, a little bit of what our message is about this week. Isaiah 42, verse 6. We see here that not only do we see the, the reference to in verse 1 and reference to Christ, but here we see in Israel even a fulfillment 
Israel was supposed to be a type of the Christ. Uh, 42.6, I, the Lord, have called thee in righteousness and will hold thy hand and will keep thee and give thee for a covenant of the people for a light of the Gentiles. That is fulfilled in Christ Jesus, certainly. But it was also a mandate of the people of Israel. That was the reason, one of the reasons why they were created, was to be that light of the Gentiles. Look at 40, chapter 49 of Isaiah. 49, verse 6. Here we see another reference to it. Isaiah 49, 6. And he said, It is a light thing that thou shouldest be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved of Israel. I will also give thee for a light of the Gentiles, that thou mayest be my salvation unto the ends of the earth. And so um, that, again, is, is part of the, the purpose. Um, actually, go to Psalm. Look at Psalms. Look at Psalm 119. 105, Psalm 119, 105. If Israel, as we read in Ephesians, if they're the ones that were committed, the promises, the covenants, the word of God, all of those things were committed unto them. And look at here, I mean, this is, everybody has heard this one, I'm sure, at one point or another. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It's God's word, which is that light in the darkness. Well, the people of Israel are the ones who had God's word, right? And so, again, by giving them God, by God giving them his word, it was that was going to be the light to the rest of the world. And so here in Romans chapter 2, whenever he says, you know, that you're a light to them which are in darkness, that is supposed to be true. And so here, you know, he's talking about that Jew who, again, who says that I am all of these things. I'm a guide to the blind, and I'm... You know, it's a light to them that are in darkness. Verse 20, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, which has the form of knowledge and the truth and the law. Verse 21, though. Um, I'm sorry, verse 20. Verses 20 through 23 here. See if I can't get through four verses in four minutes. What are the odds, Mike? Verses 20 through 23, he's going to ask a series of questions. Um, And it's really meant to, because I'm going to read them quickly, these questions are meant to distinguish most Jews, um, their practice um, with what they knew and taught. And so, in other words, um, most Jews, again, as, as we saw here, they, they, they were hypocritical. It's meant to distinguish most Jews' their practice with what they actually knew and what they taught. Let's read, read them. Verse 20, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, who has the form of knowledge and of the truth of the law, thou therefore which teaches another, teachest thou not thyself? Thou that preaches a man should not steal, do you steal? You that say a man should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You that abhor idols, do you commit sacrilege? You that make thy boast of the law, through breaking the law, dishonorest thou God. And so, here, that's what his point is. Go back to Psalm. Psalm chapter 50. Psalms chapter 50. Verse 16. Psalm 50, verse 16. 
But unto the wicked, God says, What hast thou to do to declare my statutes? Or that thou shouldest take my covenant in thy mouth? Seeing thou hatest instruction and casteth my words behind me, when thou sawest a thief, then thou contendest with him, and hast been partaker with adulterers. Thou givest thy mouth to evil, and thy tongue to frameth deceit. Thou setteth and speaketh against thy brother, thou slanderest thine own mother's son. And so, what is he talking about here? Again, he's talking about that hypocrite, that Jew, that one that one who, who says one thing and who is doing another thing. Where was that at? That was Psalm 50. Verse 15? Uh, verse 16 through 20. Okay. And so, again, what he's dealing with here is those who, who, who practice one thing uh, but claim another thing. And, and that goes big into verse 24 because what Psalm 50 just made the point of is the same thing that um, Romans 2.24 is going to make. For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you, as it is written. See, you know, I, you've heard me say before that I don't like to put the Christian sticker on my bumper sticker on my car, right? You've heard me talk about that. Why? In case I do something silly. We have to understand that when we have the name of God on our backs, that when we don't live up to that, who do people usually blame for that? Christ. Right. And so it's the idea that God's name gets blasphemed through that. Um, Jesus, who are, who are uh, Jews who are denying Jesus, are blaspheming God. Look at Acts 13. Acts 13. This will be the last one we look at today. But I do have another reference for you to look up on your own time. Acts 13, 45. Here we have Paul as he's going about to preach. And again, he would go into synagogues, tell the Jews the truth. They would generally deny it. He would go out to the Gentiles, and oftentimes they would accept. Another situation, Acts 13.45, But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and spoke against those things which were spoken of by Paul, comma, contradicting, what were they contradicting? Those things spoken of by Paul. What was Paul speaking about? Jesus, who Jesus was, right? They were contradicting and blaspheming. By saying that Jesus isn't the Christ, you are blaspheming God. And for a Jew to say that Jesus isn't the Messiah because Jesus is God himself, Remember Romans 1, how, how we looked at that? They would deny who God is and associate that with somebody else. Well, Jesus is the creator. And if you deny that Jesus, you are literally blaspheming God. And so Paul is making a point, and he drives it home in verse 24. You who say all of these things, you're actually blaspheming God. And you can go back. This is a quote from, this is a quote from the Old Testament here. God gives examples in that day where people were, were taking them to captivity. It's in Ezekiel. I believe it's Ezekiel 36. Let me check my notes here. Yeah, Ezekiel 36.20. That was the situation. And when God had, had taken the people of Israel and the people of Israel were sent out, well, when, when the people of Israel began to share uh, with their captors, we're God's people, we're God's people, God's name literally got blasphemed. Because in Ezekiel 36 it says, because the people there said, look, your God isn't powerful enough to keep you in your land. 
And so you keep reading Ezekiel 36. So God says, because of that, I'm going to restore you. For my name's sake is what he says. And so, again, the Jew who wants to say that they are of God but then deny, deny Jesus, um, they are bringing bla- they are blaspheming God. And that's really what, you know, these last few, few verses have been trying to make the point here is you can't have you can't have Christ or you can't have God without Christ. So does that make sense? Mm-hmm. All right. Any questions? <coughs> Comments? Okay.